Thanks to everybody who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Dan Lane, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Tim Edwards, Ilya Coelia, Roland Robertson, Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show from $1 per episode, go to 361podcast.com slash support. No, 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 we it's won't. about quality, Ian. It's about quality. I've got nothing of value to say, so it might as well sound nice. <laughs> if, as long as it sounds good. Okay. If you and I haven't made careers out of no content for slick delivery. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> Look, I learn from the best, mate, is what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> okay, are we ready to kick off? You got... Um, He's making notes. What are you doing? Stop that, Blanford. What are you doing writing? I'm writing down some of your pearls of wisdom. Okay. It's fine. I, well, you and I can be encouraged to repeat them at a moment's notice. and uh, A small fee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just for a small <laughs> fee. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Ewan McLeod. And I'm Rose Blanford. This is Season 19, Episode 1, and this week we're talking about the invasion of the small robots, health technology that's more exciting than Fitbits, and, listeners suggested, an update on our automated homes. Chaps, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Come on. Good, you and McLeod coming to us. Yes. Live from Muscat, Oman. Live from Muscat, Oman, exactly. Down there in the Middle East, at the bottom of the Middle East, basically. I think that's generally accurate. I'd better just check, but it is generally the bottom, right? I'll have a look at Google Maps and just check. Bottom of the Middle East. That's uh, like when people used to ask me where I lived, I used to say the outside toilet in the Garden of England. You know, <laughs> everywhere else was nice, but we lived in the Grim bit. Actually, not, not strictly true, but it made for a good joke. Okay, so technically Yemen is at the bottom of the Middle East. That's why I was yeah. kind of hesitating there. So a bottom to the right. Oh, man. I have to say, people might not have seen it on um, Twitter because we've been making this joke for several weeks now as we've been doing show prep, but... The inside baseball thing behind the show now is we've moved over to using Zoom to yes. uh, coordinate recordings of the show. We used to use Skype. We're using Zoom because that works in Amman a little mm. bit better, and uh, you have an account, which is brilliant. Actually, I think it works better anyway. doesn't matter where you are. I think it's better Zoom than Skype. Certainly, we found it more reliable, but Zoom obviously has the virtual backgrounds, and I'm delighted to announce that Ewan is coming to us live from Rafe's home office. Exactly. Yes, in the country. Blanford Estate, uh, home office. Yeah. It is gorgeous. There are wooden beams and we can see out onto the veranda. Mm, I'm not sure about this. You can see my rucksack, which is very, I put that on the, on the blue sofa. Oh, yes. Nice. That's very similar to Rafe's rucksack. So we've now had, what, four planning slash catch-up calls, I think, preceding this recording. And all of them, you and I have both been sat in exactly the same room, which we snagged from Rafe's background. Yeah. Rafe Blanford, you're coming to us. You having returned to the London pad. Are you actually at your apartment or are you using a fake background? I am not using a fake background. I am actually in London, as okay. you can tell by the fact the plants have grown a little bit more since the one you captured and then used. Well, we can test. Yeah. I'll just... In the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in London, everything coming out of lockdown compared to where we were when we were kind of last recording, although very much still working from home and the kind of the constraints that go along with that. I think we'll be sort of revisiting some of the topics this season that we touched on to mm. kind of long-term review of some of the equipment that we've picked up, yep. as well as the way it's sort of changing the world. And you can look forward to some of that in future episodes. 
for me, the podcast has been a nice way to stay sane. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that no one would listen to us if everybody else did, but I'd say get a podcast. It's a great way to sustain yourself through (laughs) lockdown because if I had to do one more Zoom call where I was asked 10 questions about sport, I had no idea about a number of Zoom quizzes that have just reinforced my view that I have a very narrow set of interests in the world and none of them involve 1970s footballers and therefore, you know, I'm no use in a quiz. Yeah. And dear listeners, I will say this quietly because obviously I don't want Ben and Neuron to hear this. It's quite nice having people that you can talk to about kind of non-work stuff or then sometimes work stuff and get supportive and excellent advice. And particularly while we've been in lockdown, these virtual things have become kind of more important. Mm. So I would say a thank you not only to our listeners for sticking with us, but Mm. thank you for Ben and Euron for sticking with me. Right back at you. Well, absolutely. I mean, we've had a nice chat. And then after that, you've been able to go off and get some supportive advice on a Zoom call. It's been lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about what season is this? Just so, we're, yeah. so this is season 19. Can you believe we've been doing this season 19? We've, That's amazing. Wow. I think we must be in our eighth year. I, I, we'll, we, we'll celebrate the anniversary when it comes around. 2011, wasn't it? I think we started 2011. So is it ninth so maybe, year? Maybe that's, yeah, maybe we're nine years, nine years in then. But it, we've been doing this for a long mm. time, more than it probably warrants. But it's been good fun. And actually, it's been interesting. During the break, I've been listening to loads more podcasts. And it's been really interesting. I kind of subscribe to loads of radio, like professional podcasts and real high quality production ones. But now I had a bit more time during lockdown to sort of listen to Mm. podcasts, you know, going out for walks and trying to do a bit more running and that kind of stuff. I think I vastly preferred going back to listening to podcasts by people, you know, where actually it's some of the slightly more sort of home produced efforts, but it's about listening to people you're interested in and opinions you're interested in and not a sort of a slickly produced, you know, kind of radio show style right. thing. So it's given me a faith in podcasts that they can be as diverse as in everything from Radio 4 to us, for example. I am just not in podcast mode at the moment. I, I've been trying really hard, but I just can't listen to them at the minute. I can't run without a podcast on now. That is really interesting. Well, I hate running with music because it's always the wrong beat. Like it's, made, it's trying to make me go too fast or too slow. Right. Like I, I always want to run to the beat of the music and I can't do that. But to stick on like two people having a really interesting chat for an hour or so, you know, like it just helps it. Do you think people run listening to 361? Is this a running podcast? I don't, I, I thought it was more of a commuting podcast. Well, you know, again, there was some interesting press this week, which I, I felt so negative about lockdown recently. I was really delighted mm. just to hear about a positive narrative about how people now they weren't commuting, they were saving the money on train tickets and people were spending it on getting out of debt Mm. or improving their homes or doing nice things because they had a bit more money, but also because they had that time, people were going to run because like they'd always promised themselves they'd do that run if they had time, but now they have or spending more time with their kids or whatever. So there is, you know, in the midst of a lot of misery and a lot of a hard time for a lot of people, there are a few happy stories and I've, yeah, I've enjoyed more time with the family and Mm. I've enjoyed a bit more time, you know, kind of not sitting on trains, hating sitting on trains. Yes. Okay. We should move on. We should do some follow-up. So this is season 19, but season 18 is still within living memory. I can just about remember it. Yep. And uh, Rafe Blanford, towards the end of season 18, I think I teased you liberally about your magazines. We asked you what apps you were using, and you told us about magazines, which, as far <laughs> as I could tell, were yesterday's news printed on dead trees. But I have to confess, I have now subscribed to your delayed gratification magazine. Ah, uh, me too. Mm-hmm. Have you had your two copies? I've had one so far, I think. Oh, yeah, I got two. Yeah. You've got to click send me the existing one. 
So you clearly didn't do that. I think I did it after you. So I think the existing one was the second one you got, if you so mean. Oh, fine. But I was expecting more written content, Blanford, in this one. There was lots and lots of pages of kind of, you know, small bits. For those who haven't read it, it's kind of a news review type magazine, but tends to have commentary on some of the topics going on and then uses infographics and kind of factoids Mm. to kind of illustrate it. The reason it appeals to me is because it gives you information about things I wouldn't have otherwise considered and is quite reflective because the whole point is it's about news that happened three or four months ago and then gives Mm. you the kind of the so what or the thing to look forward to. And it is nicely designed and it's, you know, a contrast to something like The Economist or a lot of the news magazines, which are very text heavy. Mm, this mm. is something that, you know, it's almost the, here's the analysis that you kind of would like to read at the time, but three months on. And it tends to make you think about what I would describe as the meta factors and mm. things under the news and in the trends. And that meta factors, I like it. word of the week. Yeah. But also it is uh, very digestible in the sense that you can pick it up, read a few pages. That is true. That is true. Yes. While you're having a coffee break and then come back to it. And so that's also been good for me because sometimes I just want to have like 15 minutes of reading without going into a book or something like that. So I I Mm. still thoroughly recommend it. But clearly, listeners, I have become a magazine influencer in the same way that Ben is a robot vacuum cleaner influencer. Very impressive. I count that as a win. So much influence, Ralph Bamford. Yeah, I think I was surprised how much I liked the thing, like the physical artifact. Yes. Because when I'm about to get on a plane and I'm feeling worthy, sometimes I pick up an economist and think, oh, if I read all of the things in here, it will make me clever and interesting oh. and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know. You're I, already clever and interesting, Ben, so you don't need to worry about that. Checks in the post. I love you, man. <laughs> but <laughs> I think, you know, having got out of the habit of training myself to read long, in depth things, I've never really stuck with it. But actually, the other thing is, it's not a nice thing to hold and to use and to consume. It's not beautiful. Like Rafe says, it's functional because it's a wall of text. And Mm. this is really beautifully designed. And as you say, the infographics, but also the art direction and the the house style, it's a genuinely pleasant thing to have. So yeah, I love it. I mean, again, you know, everybody's taste to their own. But on this data point of one, I actually think, you know, like magazines, but kind of premium magazines with this amount of effort, actually, Mm. I, I can believe in them again. I regret dismissing them quite as liberally as I did last season. Not enough to delete the episode, obviously, but, you know, <laughs> I'll grudgingly accept it, you know. Okay, one other thing before we move on. Hmm. Uh, I've bought HomePod. Ooh. It's here uh, in front of me. One of Apple's failed, yeah. So why would you buy the thing that has not worked and that has been yes. you know, subsumed by Google and Amazon smart speakers? I, I hope you have a good reason then. Uh, it, was, uh, it was 100 quid off. Okay, that's one reason. Hmm. Would be reason number one. <laughs> I've brought it up into my office and I don't think it's the best smart speaker, although I put it next to our Echo Show in the kitchen for a while and tried it. Mm. And it's perhaps not as universal as Amazon's Echo, but it does a good job of most of the things that we use it for. Like, hey, you play this music and start this timer and, and those sorts of things. And my gosh, it sounds amazing. Okay. So I've brought it upstairs. I'm actually using it as a speaker on my desk because, of course, it's got AirPlay 2 in it. So I just connect my laptop to it and my phone to it, and I can have music off all these devices. And actually, like, it sounds incredible. I put it down on our kitchen counter with a tiled wall behind it yeah. and a big echoey room in front of it. And I heard it switching off the speakers at the back of the device so that it didn't echo off the wall. It was incredible just standing there. I could hear it adjusting which of the speakers, because it's in a circular shape, which of the speakers it fired. 
And that was incredibly impressive. So, yeah, I mean, they're, look, they're obviously clearing inventory. They're about £199 mm. in big retailers in the UK, and they're also being discounted in the States. But if what you want is a really nice AirPlay 2 speaker, that's a good choice. It looks really attractive. And yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to love it more than our Echoes because they're all over our house and we use them for all manner of things. But if what you want is a pleasant looking speaker with AirPlay 2 in it, it's good. Mm. And certainly my original Sonos Play 5, which is admittedly the older model, sounds muddy and unpleasant compared to it. Wow. I know the new Sonos 5 sounds excellent, but it is a 600 quid speaker. So What about Siri though? That, that does annoy me. I, I just find Siri still massively lacking in terms of its capability. It is, but it's good enough for what I use it for. So okay. if you treat it mostly as a thing to play sound out of and occasionally talk to, yes, I mean, certainly I, I wouldn't advocate ripping out all your Echoes and replacing them with HomePods, but if you want a speaker for a desk or if you want a cheap smart speaker or if you just want an AirPlay 2 speaker, it's almost to the point now where don't go to Ikea and spend 100 quid on one of those cheap AirPlay 2 slash Sonos speakers now. Hmm. Get one of these. Really impressive. Or wait and get the small one rumoured to be coming. Well, and they're obviously clearing stock in advance of a new one coming, but Mm. I'll take it. It's 200 quid. It's not a small amount of money, but it feels good value at this stage. Nice. Okay, we should move on. So um, what are we talking about this week? First up, Human Cloud. Yes. Robots. Yeah. How long have we done this show and we haven't talked about robots? No, we have talked about about robots a lot, I think. And especially when it comes to robo vacuum cleaners. Oh, yes. Okay. I think it's about time that we looked at robots in a little bit more detail, I think. One of the ones that popped up recently, and I said, who is it? Is it you that know? Your friend or Rafe's friend that know? It's a friend of mine who uh, has the connection, yes. Uh, there's a connection to a company called Small Robot Company. Um, and you can guess what they do. They actually focus on farming. And it really caught my attention because as I was scrolling through the website, and you could imagine it's robots that allow or enable farming, okay? They replace you having to walk up and down a field or drive up and down a field with a tractor. These robots are tractors. They are distribution mechanisms for weed killer and so on and so on. But one of the things that really appealed to me is they've got a phrase saying farming as a service. And I thought, I do like this as a service concept, right? I looked at it, it says, don't pay for machinery subscribe to a healthy crop. Now, isn't that cool? As soon as I saw those words, I knew that you'd be excited. I just love this stuff. I love this stuff. The whole idea here, I think, isn't it, that you rent these robots Mm. and they do a job for you. Now, none of us, none of us, even Rafe Blanford. He has people that do this. He has people that do this. But none of us are farmers. But it's fascinating to watch that language and those ideas sort of go into a completely new market. Yes. Well, you, you and you, yes. you rent these robots, you throw them out in your field, yes. and they do... Ah, uh, you don't rent the robot. Well, I mean, I think technically you probably do rent the robot, but what they're saying is really actually what you're subscribing to is a healthy crop. And when I said weed killer, I, I have to be rather clear, they've actually got a, a little robot that goes out and uses electricity to zap the weed specifically. Because you, you can do that, right? These machines go up and down, up and down, monitoring, seeding, they do the end-to-end everything. Look, I, I don't know precisely where they are in terms of their business and, and the delivery of this. But yeah, there are demos available. It looks like they're bringing this to market. Rafe will have more details here. But I think this is astonishing. And it shows the way I think we can be going with robot technology and being able to say, look, yes, I don't want to buy a tractor. No, no, what I want is I want an easier job of managing my fields. Now, here what you're saying is, no, no, I don't want a robot. I don't want any technology. I don't want to own anything. I just want the crops. So there's the seeds. 
there's the land, on you go. And, you know, I'm, I want to sell it for $10, you know, and I'll give you two. I think it's a really interesting model, a really interesting approach that they're bringing this stuff to market. And I, I think it could be transformational for humankind, right? Rafe, are these machines doing things that can't be done already or are they just making it more affordable? I was trying to work out if the widgets that these robots have would otherwise be strapped on the back of a tractor with a human driving it around or are these actually now doing something different? So I think there isn't a simple answer to that. Rafe, this is 361. We demand a simple answer. I need you to say yes, Ben. Yes. But who doesn't love a robot company that's um, named their robots Tom, Dick and Harry? Well, no, it's Tom, Dick and Wilma. I was checking. Tom, Dick and Wilma. And Wilma is the artificial intelligence that kind of Very tells cool. Tom, Dick and Harry what to do. So there's a certain appeal to that. In one level, they're not doing anything that different because agriculture isn't that difficult when you think about it. At the basics, you plant seeds. And this, we're talking about arable here and these around arable mm. robots. You plant the seeds and then you apply fertilizer and irrigation and then you do crop monitoring and ultimately you then uh, collect that crop and harvest it in some way. Mm. You know, they are starting to introduce new techniques. You would refer to kind of the weed zapping thing. Mm. But I think probably what's most interesting about this is it involves what is termed precision agriculture. Yes. And this is the idea that you can look at the land and look at the individual weeds and things like that and use technology like computer vision and others to kind of work out how you make this land as productive as possible. And that can be to do with the number of seeds you plant, Mm. how you do the irrigation, that weeding process. And traditionally, when you drive a tractor over a field and you're kind of doing it kind of all at the same, like the farmer will have some knowledge of his own, so may Mm. plant one corner of the field slightly differently to the other. But this is kind of what I'd say is data-led insights to improve the efficiency and productivity of your farming. And that's what autonomous robotics allows you to do. Also probably allows you to do it in a way that the robot time is not connected to human labor costs, which is one of the big costs within farming. And this is uh, particularly interesting because they're using kind of small robots. So the scale at which this works is really, you know, quite small. It's worth saying that John Deere, who is the big tractor manufacturer, if you've seen the big green tractors, they're generally John Deere ones. They also have autonomous vehicles and they also talk about precision mm, agriculture, mm. but they're kind of doing it on like very big scale machines. If you ever see them at the trade shows, they kind of dominate the stand and they're right. similar size to the tractors. This was interesting for me because those kind of things are well set up for the kind of super farms. In the UK, we've seen that consolidation happen in East Anglia. It's happened a lot in the States. But there's a bit of a movement against that, particularly in the UK, or has been over the last, let's say, 25 years, because that resulted in grubbing out of hedgerows, all those kind of environmental Mm. effects. And actually, smaller scale farming has not really benefited from that automation and mechanization. And it's very similar if we get really geeky about this is going back to when enclosure happened and when we moved from strip farming Mm. and everything else. But what is interesting for me about this small robot company is that it enables that kind of precision farming and that automation on a level that kind of wasn't possible before. And if you add that to what Ewan was talking about, which was the shift to have a service model, Mm, that becomes very interesting for the economics of farming overall. I love the idea as well with the small robots concept you were talking about, Rafe, rather than the just sort of automating giant tractors, Mm. was this idea that the efficiency of identifying a weed or the readiness of a crop or whether or not to harvest a particular piece of fruit or something like that could be incrementally improved every season as the artificial intelligence learns about Mm. what was effective and things as well. So, you know, as a farmer, you know, typically you make a huge investment 
in either buying or leasing, you know, vast pieces of equipment, but they're very imprecise tools and they don't tend to improve the efficiency other than you, the farmer, learning how to use them better. Whereas here, this small robot is going to do a better job every time. But let's talk about some different ones. Sorry, you and you were going to talk about a different robot. Another one I came across called Graze. I mean, look, there's plenty of these. I just wanted to bring a few uh, as an example. And Graze is a fully autonomous commercial lawnmower. And it is basically like uh, a ride-on lawnmower with the human bit, as in the seat and all that. The steering wheel cut off, it looks like to me. And that's replaced. <laughs> cut off is an unfortunate turn of phrase, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, not the human cut off, but the, the seat. The seat and the steering wheel. It's 100% electric and it's solar powered. So uh, um, where the seat and the steering wheel bit would be is just a solar power, right? And you control the thing from an iPad. And just like our robo lawnmowers, this is a big, beefier one. And the Grace team are selling these to, they're actually selling the machines, which is interesting. Not, it's not really as a service yet. They're selling them to golf courses, to anyone that needs commercial landscaping. They say it's a $100 billion US dollar market that they're trying to disrupt. And that was very interesting. And they're, they're actually doing um, an investment round at the moment. It just looks really interesting. But also, there are some issues that I think we're all going to have to really be thinking about. Step one here is it says the benefit for Grays, they say it reduces labor costs and increases margins. You know, direct labor costs are 45% of the total revenue generated from lawn mowing, apparently, they say. And Grays eliminates 50% or more of the labor cost and 100% of the fuel cost. So this is great unless you're one of the people driving up and down doing this as a job. We're nearly out of time on this. So I just wanted to flag up what perhaps a counterpoint to that one, which I snagged and I. I think the reason we're talking about this now is that these products are beginning to come to the market and to be useful. Mm. So my old employer, actually, hashtag not sponsored, hashtag would be sponsored if you wanted because they've got loads of money. Yeah, no pressure. They've been working with Hampshire County Council, which is where you used to live, Ewan, and where I live now. Yeah, I do. Indeed, yes. So Argenti Care Technology, working with a Japanese robot developer, Cyberdyne. Is that not the name of the firm in... It was, yes. It cannot be. Cyberdyne Systems Model 800. I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. Just quoting. Cyberdyne is a Japanese robotics developer. That's their actual... Come on, that's ridiculous. This is a robot that care workers wear in care homes, and it's like a set of leg calipers and a back support, and you put electrodes on that detects the signal going between the brain and the muscles. And what this does is it helps care workers sort of have additional strength in their back to help manoeuvre patients cool. around or wow. to do you know, difficult manual tasks. And this is only a trial, but I think what's fascinating here is that we're now getting to the point where kind of the nice idea is actually now becoming to a point where it's worthy of trialling. And wow. you know, the care sector is another sector it's where- It's a cobot, by the way. It's a cobot, that's yes. right. It's a cooperative robot. Yeah. Um, but the care sector is another type of place where a lot of the cost is labour the robots aren't replacing the people here, but actually making their jobs safer. Because mm. in a lot of cases, people are not getting the care they need because you can't go into someone's house with all the equipment you need, perhaps to help somebody have a bath or get out of bed right. or something like that. And it reduces the dignity of the person in yes. question because they can't have a normal life. And also it makes it a poorly paid, incredibly physically demanding job, perhaps even intolerable. So these cobots will actually mean that you can begin to sort of deliver care in a new way. And I thought that was really, really interesting and, and perhaps offset that concern about job displacement in some small respects. Rafe Blanford's got his, I'm, yeah. I'm about to explain this to your face on. <laughs> actually, I think there's always this narrative around replacing jobs, but that's what technology has been doing for years and years. And it's kind of 
moving on from that. I think the speed with which it's happening is a concern. But that kind of human augmentation or human assistance thing Mm. in robots, I think, is really interesting. But when we've talked about robots, we've talked about them in the context of smart home. And I think a lot of people will see the sci-fi vision of, you know, the equipment of the Jetsons and kind of a personal Mm. assistant. Mm. And it's really interesting to me that the things that seem to be coming to the fore are the industrial uses. And we prefer to vacuum cleaners in hotels, I think the farming yeah. stuff, but also warehouses and all the automation there. And Amazon is famous for that. And a lot of it is in logistics. And we hear about it in last mile delivery. But we're starting to see it appear elsewhere. And I think this human augmentation in care homes, you also see it in surgery and things like that. It sort of crept up on us in a way that isn't particularly visible to the public, but a lot of that mm. is going on behind the scenes. And actually, robotic isn't a new thing. Like we've seen that in car manufacturing for ages and manufacturing in general. But what we are seeing are these smaller scale ones that are significantly augmenting the ability of a human labor force to do something or getting rid of the really monotonous kind of commoditized tasks. And I think that's something to be celebrated. And so I, I want to keep a bit more eye on these robots and maybe we'll have a robot featured every couple of weeks just as a a recap as we go through this season Mm. and we'd love to hear from you what great use cases or examples that you've seen yeah absolutely if you're interested in a few examples that we've cited i'm going to stick these in the show notes i think the thing that stands out for me is that in all of these cases these are robots that in themselves are unremarkable but the sensors and the ai now mean that they can be used in new ways which was intriguing. I just cannot get over the fact that the, the company name is cyberdyne which is precisely the same name from Terminator. We should move on while you and has his moment. I just want to know if they're going to bring out Model 800, you know. But we will revisit robots because robots are cool again now. So next up, health and fitness apps. Rafe Blanford, obviously during lockdown, we have been going great guns in terms of trying to keep ourselves uh, healthy and fit. And we talked a little bit about kind of maps, running and that kind of stuff, which is sort of one of the first things that people think about when health and fitness app. But here we've got the metabolism tracker, lumen.me. We're starting to see health and fitness branching out a little bit. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about was around sort of, um, you're going to have to explain this to me, but starting to look at how you tailor GPS and those sorts of things to give greater precision, because none of these things are specifically fitness first. They weren't always developed for fitness. But the point is that we're starting to see kind of that technology, which starts off in the medical space or the military space, get sort of consumerized and become more relevant now. So, you know, what's exciting you in the world of health and fitness apps? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There's two things that we wanted to talk about. And this is a follow-up to some of the Couch to 5K stuff that we talked about in the last season. But we've also talked about things like the health app ecosystem and whether you use Apple Health and Google Fit. And then there was Microsoft Health Vault, which has now gone away. And we were kind of expecting things to go more in the medical and health records direction. And we're sort of a bit sceptical about the likes of Fitbit and indeed others to go there. And obviously there's acquisitions that have now happened in this space that have changed some of the things there. I mean, I'm still personally using two things, Apple Health and then Why Things, but that's partly a reflection on the sleep sensor and the smart scales that I've got. And actually it collects all the stuff like heart rate and step count from other things. But the interesting thing is that extra content that you're potentially getting and then it's advising you on what's doing. That seems to be now where the sweet spot for monetization is. And I think probably the biggest one that is emblematic of that is Peloton that's coming in. For those that don't know, it's available both as an app that you can add into doing your cycling, but they also produce a bike, so a kind of end-to-end service. And we've always said 
like the Beth health and fitness stuff is stuff that kind of provides you with that end-to-end experience. And Peloton have a combination of a lot of customization, but also live real-time classes. So it's trying to bring in some of the benefits of going to those regular gym sessions or having those on demand. Mm. And it's pretty smart about the way it does it. You know, there is the league tables. There's then, for those who want it, very much driven by metrics to get to a certain point to burn a certain number of calories or to get to certain power ratios and, and monitoring all that. That You know, anyone who's done cycling or has done the quantified self around that will be familiar with, but they have put a service on the top of that. Mm. So we might come back to that. But the second thing is, is absolutely what Ben's talking about that's interesting for me is we have seen a refinement of the number of sensors available and starting to go mass stream or mass market. Some of this is like more accurate GPS. Some of it's more accurate heart rate, but it's also new sensors like oximeters for measuring oxygen flow, uh, lumen, which is trying to measure your calorific intake. Mm. And that has continued to be pushed in a way that was a bit faster than I was expecting. And I think one of the ones that caught our attention was Focal Point, which described themselves as the next generation accuracy for running wearables. And it uses both motion sensing, GPS optimization, and a certain amount of what we assume is kind of machine learning based models mm. to give that extra level of accuracy in order to be able to do things like activity detection. But they are not producing a product, they are producing a sensor and a bit of firmware that gets laid into this. And this is actually a very common pattern from the smartphone space where a manufacturer will produce a sensor and then try and sell the whole package on top. But what's kind of catching my attention with this in particular is while some of it is about refinements in technology, sensor, a lot of it's about refinements in the data models or the machine learning models that go with it. And that feels like the thing that's pushing the boundary. Again, kind of echoing what Google and Apple are doing, say, around photo recognition and the ability to create albums and recognize things automatically. But it gets to the point where you have more accurate data. And this is not a new thing because actually the really interesting thing is if you can infer enough data, you can actually get that from existing set of sensors and you don't need the new sensor because you can collect enough behavior and see how it works. And probably the easiest way to explain this is location works a bit like this in that you can do it off GPS, but you can also do it off cell towers. But in order to build up a database of the location information to do it really accurately with cell towers, you kind of need a bunch of phones running around with GPS. So that's what's happening in the health space or the health and wellness space. And that's what's catching our attention. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's really intriguing because I was looking at focal point positioning. And again, we'll put this in the show notes. And they have this incredible demo of this chap who puts on this watch and he does a normal tracked run. Yeah. And it shows all the weakness of tracking the run because the GPS is spotty and it draws straight lines between it. And so it tracks his run, but it's very imprecise and it doesn't give an accurate measurement. And it's all those things, if you remember in previous shows we've talked about, it doesn't matter what health track you use, as long as you measure yourself relative to the same one, it's got the consistent error you right. know, kind of thing. Then he puts on a product running this focal point positioning, but it's got the same sensors. It's not a new piece of hardware, as far as I can tell. I think it's a new way of dealing with that. And I couldn't work out how it was so much better because it's almost inch perfect. And you're thinking, you can't get inch-perfect precision with GPS, which is what this device is. But of course, that's what I hadn't thought about, was actually the secret source is not a better GPS sensor. It's combining the established signal with a better processing of it, because that's learnt about how to deal with all the reflections and the failures Mm. and the loss of signal. And I also think in this case, Rafe, there's probably some extrapolation as well, 
where it makes better decisions about where you might run by looking at the map and say, yeah. you probably didn't run through a building. You probably ran around that corner and you yeah. took this curve because that's how people run, you know. And it infers things from the accelerometer and the gyroscope. So effectively, it's taking inputs from multiple sensors, then layering a level of intelligence across that in terms of, like, you're not going to get that jaggedy jump. Someone has actually taken that track and, like you say, sticking to a likely path on a map. It's exactly the same thing that happened with cameras. It kind of started off as kind of just being, you got the raw output from the sensor. And I'm oversimplifying massively here. But then most cameras now... Better physics. Yeah, better physics, mm. exactly. But now most of the advances are around computational photography, the kind of the post-processing and analysis of what's there and kind of inferring and reading between the lines. It's been going on for a while. This is not new, but it does feel like it's kind of levelling up a little bit. And there are a couple of stories that have just kind of caught our attention going, okay, so there's always this question about like how do you get a better phone? Sometimes it's not about better hardware, it's about the mm. better software. And as I said, you know, we're focusing on focal point GPS here, but this is also happening around some of the health sensors. And it gets really interesting here because there is HIPAA compliance and all the regulatory things, but things that don't fall into that category, then doing this kind of inference and using multiple sensors together enables you to then look at more things. And sometimes it's a thing being directly measured or you're using that as an analog for something else. And that's how you know, you're starting to see some of the things that might need two-point cardiograms, for example, can be inferred. doesn't mean they're as accurate, but still it's putting that information and those sensors in more places. And this is not something uh, an expert on, so I think I may have got some of the terminology wrong, but this as a trend is something that has become broader and therefore worthy of a little bit of discussion. Okay. Let me ask you the following then, Rafe. What kind of exercise have you been doing, if any? Uh, okay, that's a bit of a change. I've been doing a lot of walking during lockdown. I have sort of been secretly admiring Ben's. I understand you've now got to 10K. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, I mean, like a fat old wheezy man 10K where, you know, sort of at the end of it, I lay face down on the floor for several hours complaining loudly. But I have, and I used the same app that I was talking about in last season to get all the way up to 10 because you could run some more. Hmm. Last season, I said, use any app because what you need is a sort of a program that makes sense. Yes. And I mean, like, there will be health and fitness enthusiasts laughing at me because this is such a low bar. But I found that got me to 5K. I could just do the basic running by just following a program. But then between 5 and 10, I injured myself mm. one time and had to do some recovery because I just followed the program and it didn't listen to my body where you know, I was beginning to hurt my feet and I strained a muscle and this kind of stuff. And so now I'm intrigued. As soon as I look at these things that are doing what Rafe's describing, which is kind yes. of learning and giving better guidance based on lots of people's experiences. Exactly, because this was yeah. like, I just basically had a robot banging the drum going, run, Do run this. now, Do run this. now, yeah. run now, now stop, now run some more. Mm. And it wasn't in any way responding to my ability to do it. So you know that was good as long as it was basic. But for example, look at this Lumen device. Now, that's, Lumen is mm. about metabolism that Rafe was just talking about there. But I'm thinking, what if yes. you could put in into the Peloton app, maybe like some premium service? What if I could say to Peloton, do me a bespoke running program and it'll go, you know, your technique was off there or the way I injured yes. myself was running down a hill fairly clumsily and I stretched a muscle. And it's saying, you know, you are going too fast compared to your normal pace yeah, down this incline. Down or, yeah, exactly. Yes, you know, yes. And the fact that all those sensors in my phone probably were enough to say, that's not a smart thing to do. They could have done it. It could have, yes. But yeah. no one's knitted it together yet. 
Well, the reason I was asking Rafe what, what kind of exercise he was doing was to, to then say, what are you using or are you using anything to track? What are you doing? As I said at the beginning, I've been using health and why things, and that's sort of the mm. classic 10,000 steps a day thing. Is that the limit at the minute? Yeah, that, yeah. And sleep tracking. So it's like still very much quantified self, but I've been hearing from Ben and others, Ben, and going like, I really need to look at this because it feels like it's got to a level where I would find it would be a bit more useful because before it was just like it seemed to be targeted at people who were very into the running there's a little bit more of this kind of casual thing coming across and i think it might get some of my competitive instincts going or things like that Mm. it's sort of one of those things that everyone talks about pushing themselves to get healthier and to lose weight and to kind of do more exercise i still think i need to find something that's a, a balance between the two but it's time for me to kind of dip my toes back into the water and have a bit more of a look at this and some of the metabolism stuff and lumen it uses what it refers to as RER, which is um, through breath-based monitoring, but it's simplified this down. And essentially, it's measuring the CO2 in your breath to kind of take a guess at your metabolism. And as I said, what it's doing is inferring an awful lot from that. And I kind of like that idea of a complete picture. So it's something I'm going to take mm. a look at and decide what to do because, you know, I went into lockdown like most people, oh, I'm going to get more exercise. That hasn't really panned out. And I think that's partly about, you know, you can use the excuse of being busy or everything else. I've definitely been meeting a lot of my step allowance, but sometimes that has been like, oh, I need to do 20,000 or 25,000 steps at a weekend. And so I need to sort of balance that out a little bit and then... Um, Climb a mountain. So it walks home to the Blanford Estate from London. <laughs> indeed. And it's like following your own advice. That I always talk about when considering technology and often in the workplace around product stuff and everything else, take the holistic view and try and build that into the way you do things because it enables you to kind of measure and get better performance. And that's kind of the thing here that both themes that we're talking about, both better measurement and better inference of the data from sensors and this kind of laid on top here's the recommendations that you should do have got a lot better. And I think they have been married up in some cases with a better user experience and a better whole offering. And that for me is a bit of an advance from where we were like going back three or four years when I last seriously spent time with Fitbit and exercise planning things. So you know that would be the recommendation. Have a think about what works for you and go and look at what is out there. I definitely, I've slightly cheated in as much as running and I haven't really thought about any running technique. I've just sort of done exercise Mm. to a certain end get there but i did try to do some other stuff you know sort of i thought oh i can't just run and what i haven't found and i think what race you know sort of was talking about there is coaching you know i haven't found a thing that's going to teach me to be able to do exercises that i couldn't do already and i mean you know sort of like if you went to a trainer or if you went to a boot camp, you'd have an instructor standing next to you saying, right, I want you to put your feet here, put your legs there, lift this thing up here, yeah. hold it for five seconds to go down again. Okay, right. I can see your level of tiredness. I want you to do four more of those and then three of those. And it would be, you know, kind of tailored, but also, you know, like I, I stood in front of this diagram that said, you know, lift your arm up like this. I, was, oh, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know if I'm exercising in the right way and paying a human to watch me sweat and, and feel old. I feel like, you know, kind of with technology in my life, I ought to be able to come up with a better way to do that. You know, it definitely feels like the Peloton kind of thing, like mm. the luxury end of that kind of service. But like I say, I don't think they have that kind of how to do it instruction. Certainly, I briefly tried their app and didn't find that content in there. Uh, we should move on, though. We will revisit this and uh, we're definitely after your recommendations. But I really want to know about the interesting stories about 
the new ways of measuring stuff. I think, you know, sort of everyone's got their own personal style for preference for which app works for them. But, yes. you know, there are 20 Couch to 5K apps. Let's go past that and find one that actually takes full advantage of all the clever sensors you're carrying around. Yeah, if you've got some recommendations, it would be really helpful. Yeah. yeah. Please, please send them in. Yeah. There must be smart people listening to this podcast working on this tech, you know, working on the next generation of health and fitness trackers. I mean, we won't talk about it this show, but obviously Amazon announced the Halo band mm. in the States for early access. And, you know, that measures some stuff. Some of it's different. Some of it's the same. It gives you feedback on your tone of voice and stress levels, which I think probably just stress me out. But definitely it's a growing and changing market in a way that hasn't been for a while. It became quite a commodified product for a while. Anyways, we should move on because we are out of time and we'll revisit that one. Topic number three today, automated home updates. This is a listener request. Several people, whilst we were away between seasons, wrote in and said, you haven't talked about automated homes in ages. And I think we've given it a bit of a rest for a while because we'd talked about it a lot. But understandably, people are asking, what have you done? What have you updated? What's working well? So I thought it was time for a bit of an update, but we'll skip the robo vacuum cleaners because I think we might have done those to death. Oh, really? But let's just have a quick update because I've done a little bit on mine. You and you've moved home. So have you had a chance to do any automated home stuff in your new place in Amman? You know what I find rather interesting? Well, the answer is no. No, I haven't at all. This is going to be a short segment, isn't it? No, I've I've got my Arlo cameras that I brought from Denmark. Okay, because I I went round as we were moving out of Denmark and I took every camera down and so on and so on. I've got them in a box. I've got my smart things sensors the motion sensors yeah i keep on getting notifications from them because they're running out of battery but i just just haven't felt the need to uh, i think actually it's the house it's the house's fault is it okay interesting yeah it's the house's fault it's the house's fault yes because because i need to do a little bit more research into how you string together a network a zigbee or whatever network here because the walls are quite thick and quite far apart. Yeah, it's, it's the walls that are thick, is it? Thank you. <laughs> okay. Just, just in, in, in ter- architecturally, it doesn't work very well. So, for example, I have got one of the smart plugs to switch a router on and off, right? Because it, ke- uh, it keeps on having to be reset. So I just do that automatically every day at 5 p.m. The, the, the router just resets. That I've got. But then I, I tried to do a, the same, same again for the television, okay? which is not far away from the smart things hub, but doesn't work. doesn't work. It can't read it. It can't find it. And if you bring it nearer, it can find it. But that's useless to me. The TV's there. Yeah, I'm not moving the TV. So I thought, you know what? It's just not working in this house. Unless I find some repeaters, yeah. reliable repeaters. That's, uh, that's why I haven't done much at all. It's quite frustrating. I haven't hit it yet, but I was reading some stuff recently about how hard it can be to understand how this stuff works because I think everybody's got an idea about Wi-Fi. There's my Wi-Fi router. Yes. There's my gizmo. Here's yes. the number of walls between. Therefore, it yes. has a good signal or bad signal. If I type in Google, does a page arrive? And if I watch the video, does it come quickly? You know, it's simple. But what is a Zigbee? How does a mesh work? Mm. Which devices mm. repeat signals and which don't? Um, Rafe Blanford, how is Shay Blanford? Which Shay, by the way, are we talking about the, the London pad? And I noticed that that green light that was on for six months directly above your head's gone out. So clearly there's been some progress in the Blanford estate. I have indeed swapped some light bulbs, which was sort of part of an exciting upgrade. But I haven't actually done that much. I mean, I talked about the Amazon wall clock that I got in the yes. last season. Definitely still recommend that. I have since bought one for family members. 
and they've been delighted with it. And it's a kind of reminder sometimes that the simple things and that kind of cross-device value of, as described before, set a timer, it's displayed very easily to understand on the wall clock. Great. But my other observation would be actually being in lockdown and being at home more of the time actually devalued some of the smart home stuff because mm, it changed my behavior so much yes. that actually it got a bit frustrating. So I think I was probably a month into lockdown before I finally got around to changing the programming on the vacuum cleaner so that it didn't go off in the middle of the day and interrupt a call because I'd set it to go off at like three o'clock, three times a week. And actually now my patterns are irregular enough. Actually, there isn't a good time that I can think of because you know, like weekends, sometimes in, sometimes not. And so I've actually gone to a pattern of setting it off manually as I leave to go and do shopping or something like that, using the voice interface to do that, which has been pretty helpful. But sometimes I'll admit it's just as easy to lean down and press the button twice on it and it sets off. But that's also applied to some of the light settings that I used to have the lights come on when I you know, came back home as it kind of did the proximity detection or location detection thing. I did try and sort of set them around lighting and it getting dark, but that didn't work that well. And so actually I've done more manual switching off of lights. And some of that's been with light switches, some of that's been with voice. And also like the need for the security stuff has gone right down. So I had been thinking about cameras, decided not to do it because frankly, I've spent so much more time in the home. Mm. It's also interesting that that disruption of the regular pattern really impacted like, the automation that I'd set up and it wasn't as useful anymore. And I haven't really got around to changing. I think that's partly because I thought, oh, it'll only be for so long. Well, it's not easy either. It's not particularly predictable. I think I may be experiencing what people with families have in that they've got multiple users on like different schedules. And so it's hard to get that thing right. I have done things like I invested in an air purifier which actually turned out to be a bit of a disappointment and that was connected. I could turn that on and off, but that wasn't very useful. I looked at the fans and AC and that wasn't really worth doing. But what I've also found is that I've been using voice an awful lot to just get simple queries to things that I maybe previously used my phone for when I was in the work situation or something like that, because mm. you can ask for the weather. Because you're at home. Because you're at home or a, like mm. a quick calculation or something like that. And frankly, you could be working away on something and go, oh, I need to know what US dollars and GB pounds is. And previously, that would be quick browser or if you're wandering around a, a smartphone thing. So things like weather, also for the limited amount of transport that has been happening, like checking on those kind of things. So I've actually picked up on my voice usage while I've been in lockdown. That's interesting. Okay. And because I've got it in every room in the house, it works well. But the kind of side effect of that is I've also done it a little bit when I've been out and about using AirPods and Siri. Mm. And I wonder whether that's because I've got into the habit of it. I don't really know. Now, it's an anecdote of one person. But, you know, rather than new things, it's actually the way my behavior change enforced by working from home and lockdown has kind of changed the way that smart home provides benefits to me. And some of it's been very much a step back away from lots of automation and some of it in some ways has been a step forward in terms of moving away from being very tied to computer and smartphone and starting to kind of get used to this idea of ubiquitous computing or ambient computing that's just all around you and answerable by voice. Yeah I mean we noticed the same which is cameras nine tenths useless because we're home all the time. <laughs> it's still nice to have a camera over the driveway just you know to see at the front but we don't have it alerting so much and um Again, so much you, you, and we're still now just triggering the, the robot vacuum cleaner manually. Mm. One of the things I have done, though, that I really 
am appreciating now, uh, certainly in the UK, we're kind of just beginning to come into autumn. So I found it much more valuable in the last few days, but we've been doing it for a while, is all the places where I've got hue lamps. So bedside lamps in our bedroom and all through our kitchen and downstairs, I've got hue lamps in. They're not colour changing, but they are temperature changing. So from bright, cool blue white through to nice warm white. And um, what I've done is hooked it up to a routine that I've written that when you turn the lights on, it looks at what time of day it is and chooses the colour temperature accordingly. And Mm. what that means is that as you're going to bed, if it's after 10 o'clock and you turn the bedroom lights on, they just come on very low, warm. Don't make it bright. Yes. Exactly. It's very low. It's not blindingly bright. And then when you wake up in the morning and perhaps, I mean, even even in the summer, you wake up in the morning, you want to turn the lights on because you're not ready to open the curtains yet. Nice, bright, white light that's sort of, you know, invigorating and helps you wake up. So we've done that. I mean, downstairs in the kitchen as well. And particularly, that's really nice when you have the lights on, perhaps in part of the daytime, when it just starts to get dusk earlier, or perhaps if you're up in the morning and you want a bit of light as you're getting ready, you really don't want, you know, comfortable, warm, soft light first thing while you're eating your breakfast, because it just kind of it makes you feel sleepy mm. and lethargic and that kind of stuff. That's been really nice. We've been playing about with different lighting effects as well. I mean, again, I think the temptation is to go the full demo mode and say, oh, I'm going to have blue here and red here. And no, 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 like nobody wants to live in a disco. But it has been really interesting to say, well, because I can turn individual lights on and off, we won't just have the whole ceiling lit up. We'll just have a few individual spots around the perimeter of the room on just for a bit of mood lighting. Or we'll just have the lamp come up a little bit. And by blending those together, we've been able to make the room sort of feel like a nice place to just sort of sit and relax and it's been about being able to have configuration that's kind of the lamps you know sort of the additional lighting as well as that lighting in the ceiling and so we've really appreciated that because we're home more we've valued it more you know perhaps if you just came in and wanted to sort of just use the house like a dormitory as we may be used to you know kind of we were only here in the evening so we had the lights always set up to just be in evening mode but we're here a lot more now so i've really appreciated that if people are interested in trying it it's something that you can do just inside the Hue app with automations, but I've chosen to take it a step further because why do something simple when you can make it more complicated? And I'm using my SmartThings hub to tell the Hue lights what colour temperature I'd like at a certain time of day. And that means that effectively I can have things in my SmartThings ecosystem trigger those lights to come on. So I've got SmartThings buttons and things that we can press to turn on. Hmm. Question for you then. Yes. So kudos to you because you've actually sat and done some coding. I've read some actual code. Because that, that sounds like a lot of work. Okay. It's actually not because what it does is it says. <laughs> yes, it is. It, yes, it is. It should just do, you should just be click, click, done. You should be able to do that very easily. You shouldn't have to code anything. This shows why a lot of our listeners probably aren't using this stuff. Oh, yes. So, so I think what happens here is in the Hue platform, they have this labs idea, which are things you can try out you know, automations and things you can try out. Yes. And it's baked into the app. And one of the labs that you can try out is called time-based lights, where you say, oh, I want it to be, you know, warm light in the evening, blue light in the morning, all that kind of stuff. And you can do that. But that gave me the idea that felt comfortable. Yes. You know, that was nice, yes. but it wasn't as precise as I wanted. So then I went off and wrote my own sort of alternative to it. But I think that because so many enthusiasts are doing this kind of time-based lighting solutions, it'll become a part of all these lighting things now. It's you know, kind of the early adopters of making it for themselves, but it will become part of the solution. Mm. But I think if you're listening to this, you have the skills to do this. 
I haven't done any complicated maths. Like some people write it literally minute by minute. Every minute of the day, the light adjusts just so. No, no, no. I've got wow. morning lights and lunchtime lights and evening lights. And, you know, it's just three settings. And what it does is it says, what time of day is it? And what button did you press? And so it's a relatively simple, you know, <laughs> if this, then something else mm, kind of mm. statement. But that's been really nice. And we're out of time for automated home. But the other thing is, I think I said to you before, I've put hue lights in places where I really wanted to have individual control of the bulbs. Yes. Elsewhere in the house, I've gone through and put some Lightwave RF, which oh, yes. is a UK-based system. The switch, yes. Absolutely. But it's all, it's all switch-based and it's great retrofit because you just take the old switch out, put the new one in. As long as your lights are dimmable, they tend to work. It's a nice retrofit system, but hue and Lightwave, different systems, no communication. I've actually set up smart things to synchronize them now. So I can press a button on the wall and it will control my hue lights, which is just brilliant. It relies on a cloud connection at the moment, which Rafe's talked about the risks of that in the past. You know, if the internet's down, it doesn't work. But it's been a great proof of concept. I really like it. The ability to have literal light switches on my wall, which can set hue scenes, which is just absolutely brilliant. So now that I've proven to myself that it works, and more importantly, other members of the family understand what it does and like it, Hmm. I'm going to move on and um, and put that in properly. And I think my next step, and we won't say any more about this today, is get Home Assistant, which is a, an alternative to Smart Things. It's an open source Smart Things type hub. Hmm. Put it in my network. Get rid of Smart Things because I'm fed up of Smart Things. I think it's too oh, limited. Geez, I just want to start to write some real software for my actual house. I'm pretty excited. Come on, writing software. I d- I'd like this stuff to. Yeah, you know, I was hoping Smart Things would do more. And I thought, yes, I am not entirely delighted. It works. It works really well, but. I- this stuff needs to be easy, not more difficult. So you're actually, here you're going to make it more difficult for yourself by going yeah. and using Home Assistant. It's a fair criticism. And if you want easy, then that's not the way to do it. But I, like you, have hit the limits of what smart things will do for me. And at the moment, I'm, I'm finding that their that you product's have. not improved. And we have, yeah, why they don't appear to be doing more. It feels like that anyway. Well, short of tearing the house down and putting in some pro-grade stuff. And oh, I did some imaginary shopping. Do you ever do, like, some people do fantasy football teams. I do fantasy house refits of smart technology. <laughs> if I could tear that wall down and rewire this, how would I would I do, do this and then this. Yeah, love it. I don't want to make it more complicated. I've got a theory that I could take out smart things, replace it with Home Assistant, right. and it will still be complicated, but it won't be any more complicated. Oh, I just... But what it will be is more configurable for me. I stand to be wrong. I have been wrong thousands of times on this in the past, but I'm looking forward to trying something new because... I'm beginning to get a sense of what works for our family right. and the combinations of devices that we want. And that's sensible, yes. And more importantly, I haven't yet found one thing that does all the jobs we need. So I'm going to do a little bit of kind of the joining up. We'll see. Okay. But it, it's been fascinating. But if you do nothing else, if you've got some hue lights, time-based lighting, give it a crack. It's really nice. It's one of those things that you won't notice it happening, but it improves the quality of your day. Anyways, we should wrap up there. It's uh, Rafe Blanford's bedtime. He's looking exhausted. <laughs> there you go. Wake up, Rafe Blanford. We are at 361podcast on Twitter. We are 361podcast.com. You can find our contact details there. You can leave a comment on the show where you listen to this, or you can send us an email if you'd like to send us a private or a longer note. There's a tool to send emails there as well. If you'd like to support the show, you can support the production cost of the show, 361podcast.com slash support. We are still using Patreon at the moment, and um, that's recently had some changes through taxes and those sorts of things. Hopefully, everybody who's been affected by that's had the comms. 
several people, more than enough for me to think about it, have written saying, we don't like Patreon, but we'd like to support the show. Could you do something else? At the moment, I don't know how to... Oh, come on. That's not beyond the wit of man. We are looking into it. What I want is something that is better than Patreon, but doesn't dig us into the same kind of hole. Memberful. Exactly. Well, we're looking at some other options, and as soon as we've got something that is as good, we'll announce it here. But I just wanted to acknowledge that, yes, those people who've written in and said don't like Patreon for various reasons, including the enforced tax take on it for even when we don't give you any returns, it's just a straight donation for the show costs. Hmm. But um, we're looking at it, and uh, I'll announce something where we've got something to say. Awesome. Okay, uh, next episode. Mm. Episode two is the first of our one question, three answers. Special. Yeah, it's yes. the exciting new 361 format. And we'll be talking about Fortnite and Apple Ooh. and uh, the future of those ecosystems. That's the first question we've had in from a listener. But if you've got a question about products, about tech, about our opinions, about anything really, if you'd like your question answered with three answers, three for the price of one, <laughs> get in contact right in. There's still a couple of slots of later on in the season that we haven't got questions sent in yet. So let us know. Bring it. One question, three answers, and uh, next week will be the first episode in that structure. Thank you to everyone who's written in so far. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Happy season 19. Happy season 19. Thank you, listeners. Yeah, thank you, listeners. And we will be back in a week and a bit. We will speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Right then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Yes, what we're we doing here? Now, bear me a second. Yeah. He's holding his headphones up here. Yeah. Give me one second to go and turn off whatever fan it is that's just started fanning, and then I'll be right back with you. He's got amazing hearing, doesn't he? Well, it's certainly better than mine. I'm like, what? What fan? Yeah. <laughs> what fan? No, no, I can hear in the next house, <laughs> someone. <laughs> well, I think this is why... Um, we have to say it quietly, and I would note that Ben is out of the room and not listening at the moment, Mark. Mm. This is why that Ben is Mark's favourite. We know it, Mark. Yeah, thanks. We do. We're okay with that. Are we? Yeah, I think we are. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. All right, fine. I suppose we can allow it. Right. Yeah. Ben's back now. Yeah. Okay. Yo. I'm back. There we go. And the noise has stopped. Oh, no, he's still here. Hello, Ian. Little Easter egg there. Welcome back. Was it a fan or was it in the next house? No, there's an extractor fan in the downstairs bathroom. <laughs> I could hear it and I don't know if it was, um, but it's, it's sort of almost directly underneath me. So I didn't know if the mic was picking it up or not. It's season 19, episode one. And this week we're talking about the invasion of the small robots, health technology that's more exciting than Fitbits and uh, listener feedback on automated homes. One more time. No, no, no. I think Mark can take that up. I, it wasn't the err. Uh, I wasn't happy with it. Was listener suggested, not listener feedback on automated times. Okay, do it one more time, and then we'll yep. we'll let Mark pick the bones out of that one. One of those will do, Mark. Whichever one sounds least awful. <laughs> <laughs> I um, did I tell you I've um, oh, is this a joke? I've got an addict. I've got an I've, I've got an addiction to uh, I've got an addiction uh, to seaweed. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Now I need to see kelp. Oh, that's good. That's very good. I like that. Yeah. Pretty sure we've heard that one before, actually. I think we, it does feel as though we have. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when we were, uh, we were setting up the rooms and uh, we were dealing with all the echo and the noise and all that kind of stuff, because when you're mm. talking, the voice bounces off the wall and then we've got to deal with all those echoes. But actually, if you, if you bring a pigeon in here yeah. and it makes a noise, it doesn't bounce off all the walls and that's just because acoustics. Oh. <laughs>
Oh, it took me a while, that one. Ewan. I look at Ewan's face. You, you, I think Ewan's... It's like trying to explain philosophy to a dog. <laughs> no, a coo sticks. A pigeon? Yeah. What do they say? Coo, coo? Coo. A coo. A coo sticks. to the walls. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. bounce off the walls. It sticks to them. Oh, I missed your bone spit. Oh, I'm with you now. Okay. Uh, I'm like a coo. Yeah, and sticks. S-T-I-C-K-S or S-T-I-X. Now what? Oh, connected to the other bit. Fine. Tough crowd. Really, really tough crowd. I thought it was good, Ben. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> That's the validation I was looking for in my life, to be honest. Not that you were just being nice <laughs> to me earlier. This is a genuine, I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> right then, gentlemen. A pleasure. So, yeah, what we've got to do then? Uh, so now we're going to stop recording and then you are going to send me all of the files. Yes, okay. Uh, do we have to do that in a particular way or just press stop? Just for ease. We'll do three, two, one, stop. Okay. And so they're all approximately the same length. And then could you put them on Dropbox in the usual way, please? Yes. We certainly can. Love you, Mark. Okay. And then shall we meet again next Tuesday? Yes. Tuesday, fun day. Yeah. Um, I may struggle to get to the 6.30 timeline, but I will... Oh, okay, right. Fun's over, kids. Should be fine, but I'm just flagging it ahead of time. That's fine. We can adjust the time or we could do it a different day. I have literally nothing else on. Go on, you got to tell us to stop recording. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Stop. Meanwhile, at the newly improved 361 Multimedia Suite, located 30 feet beneath the Blanford Estate, things are not going well. Um, right. Have you remembered to tell Rose and Ewan that Ben's not your favourite? Well, I will in a minute. I need to make this call first. Okay, but make it sound sincere. Right. Welcome to the messaging service. The person you are calling is unable to take your call. Please leave your message onto the tone. To record your message, he has to be any time. Hiya, Ben. Uh, you need to ring me back as soon as you possibly can, mate. Um, look, you know you're my favourite, but you know that advice you gave me for the studio? Well... It's not working. I've tried gaffer tape. All I'm left with now is this nail gun. Ah!